Today on the Mode Push podcast, coming at you with a Belgian Grand Prix review, a Dutch masterclass. I hate myself for saying that. By the seemingly untouchable Max Verstappen, fireworks in the early race laps that lead to a beef between two world champs. And Ferrari, bless their hearts. It's the Mode Push podcast, starting now. Radio check. Loud and clear. KSL Sports and KSL Podcast present Mode Push, an American view of F1, starting now. And I'm stuck. He's making cut with his Honestly. I'm gusset. I'm absolutely gusset. I enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Thank you. And it's another edition of Mode Push, the podcast made for just absolute F1 fans, for the F1 fan who's out there. And maybe you're one of those newer ones to F1, and that's what we're putting this thing together for. I'm your host, Alex Keery, along with my other host, Dan Jimenez, joining us on the program here. Dan, uh, race day today. We tried not to talk too much about it. But boy, we were chomping at the bit here, getting ready for the show here. Uh, I guess right off the bat. Belgian GP in the books. Max Verstappen runs away with this thing, and I guess we should have taken a clue right from the uh, from the get go from uh, from what we were seeing from all of the of all of the guys who were talking about how Max is going to do, and they were all saying it. All of the racers were saying, "Yeah, he's going to run away with this thing." And I said, "I yeah. uh, no, it's not going to be that. It's not going to be that bad, is it?" And it was that bad, or it was that impressive. But everybody knew he was going to come back and win this thing. And it was almost like it was even more impressive because of how quickly he did it. So your impressions right off the bat of the Belgian GP, uh, now that we have Max Verstappen way out in front in the uh, World Championship lead, and then the Constructors title is all but Red Bulls at this point. At least it feels like that. Yeah, number one, Max living up to the hype. And I'm with you. I, I almost couldn't believe you know all the talk that was surrounding Max and the speed that he showed on Friday and Saturday. Thinking, you know, coming in, starting 14th, I think it was. Yeah. There's that's a you know a lot of places to be gained and a lot can happen in the first few laps at Spa and we saw it happen lap one and two there was a lot of fireworks in the midfield and you know credit to Max to be able to manage his way through all of that and come through unscathed and then just lay down lap after lap and you know get to first by I think he established first first by lap fourteen and just carried it away so yeah number one just Red Bull coming out exactly how everyone had almost feared they would and then number two like. The stories of you know the of the season so far, especially with Ferrari, continue, and it it's it, it's a hard year to be a Ferrari fan, that's for sure. Well, that's what I was gonna I, let's stay a little bit with Red Bull, and we'll get to certainly Ferrari's woes because that's like that that drama is fun. Like I don't know, <laughs> there's some people who are like weeping about it, but I just kind of <laughs> I just kind of like the fact that they had all this time to think about it, and they had all this time to make changes, and everybody was waiting for the changes. And we still didn't see it. In fact, it seemed like it went even more backward. But we'll get to Ferrari in a second. But we have this idea of uh, uh, you tell me. I mean, I lean on you for like the race expertise part because I, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out in qualifying when we're watching this thing and everybody's just like, I mean, you know, immediately. I guess FP1 and FP2 people are kind of like, eh, you sort of get an idea. But by the third, uh, by the third practice, you kind of get an idea that. Uh, yeah. Max is the fastest guy that Red Bull has the fastest car, but for some reason too, it's, it's not just Red Bull. It was Max because Checo is an, I mean, listen, P2, amazing. That's where he started. And then he went back kind of quickly at the front, at the front end of that mm-hmm. start. 
But even in qualifying, everybody was just like, I don't know what, what... It wasn't just Red Bull has a quick car, Dan. It was Max Verstappen is unstoppable. And all these technical directives they got during the break that I didn't even understand, and obviously Mercedes didn't understand the homework <laughs> when they were right. sent home during the break. What What exactly... Did Red Bull figure out? I mean, I never know what they're talking about when it says, oh, they've got this thing that they figured out. And there's a little bit of secrecy, obviously, there, because you can you know, interpret rules the way that you want to. But how is it that, that Mercedes wanted these changes? They got them, these floor changes for everybody. They kind of got some sort of a version of that. And then nothing happened for them. They didn't improve at all. In fact, they went backward. They're embarrassed. They're showing, they're showing Total Wolf on the screen. In past, we've seen him and gone, look, at this is the king right here in the garage. And now you're seeing him and you're like, they're just showing this guy. It's embarrassing. And he's embarrassed by it. I don't even know what. So how is it the Red Bull is so freaking far ahead after the after the summer break and they just walked away with this thing? That's the head scratcher. That's what everybody's wondering. Uh, and, and part of those regulation changes were around what they call the plank wear or the right height of the car. And so not to get too nerdy, but basically there's a – a limitation and how low, you know, F1 will allow these cars to travel. And that travel ends up being determined by a lot of factors, but you know, the racetrack itself has a lot of uh, effect on that. So with spa, it's really unique because of uh, Eau Rouge going up that hill. There's just a ton of compression that goes into the car. TV it can't requires show a that. lot of travel. I just want to say TV does not like, I think probably this year I was made more aware of it, maybe because of what you told me kind of pre-show. Like, you see the you see it on TV, but TV does not represent how crazy of an incline that you get on that hill and the decline on some of these other hills. And so that, that's what I was going to say. is like I, It was amazing to me to see the climb that happens with that. And so I guess that rake versus the – I mean, some, pe- some teams want a different rake versus – but then all teams now have to have – you can't be – a certain height off the ground. And I guess that's what we're talking about. We, I guess that's when they're trying to figure out all this porpoising too, which still hasn't seemed to be in, have been fixed. Yeah. Yeah. And so the speculation is, is uh, did the, the latest regulations play into Red Bull's hands at spa? And will that continue into the Dutch grand prix? Will that continue into Monza? You know, we'll find out those are, those are very different racetracks from, from spa, but it seemed that uh, with, Red Bull coming into this uh, race with a bit more uh, configuration with a bit uh, more um, the the downforce between them and Ferrari. Ferrari was more, you know, trimmed out with more high, uh, high speed, you know, going for high speed on the straights and the entire management in this, in the middle sector. And Red Bull was a bit higher downforce, but they were still able to keep that, that high speed. So it, it seemed like the, uh, the, the high temperatures uh, for race day kind of caught Ferrari off guard a little bit to where that uh that was harder on their tires as they were as they had less trim or less arrow and downforce into the car and you know just the weather i think also played a factor today and, and caught ferrari off guard so it's not just tire degradation the, the, the like the normal wear because of the uh, uh you know that those heavy downforces but some of these teams are running higher downforce they're running uh you know a different setup here so is that just red bull going no we're going to guess a little bit better although they saw the same type of wear on those soft tires certainly that everybody else was seeing but it yeah. just seemed like it was not nearly as i mean every I, I don't know what what lap it was what the number of the lap actually was but it was a joke the way he was cutting through all the traffic of course he gets help from the from the safety car but but I mean, like he was cutting through all this traffic and it was a joke to watch it. It was exciting because you're going, 
this right. guy is the best in the world. But it also seemed like everybody was not just guessing wrong, but there wasn't a power unit out there or a setup out there that was anywhere close to what. And again, like I said, not just Checo, not just Red Bull, Max Verstappen. That's why I'm like wondering what the cheat code is that he has versus even what his teammate has. His teammate not even know exactly what Max is doing. You know, it we'll we'll, we'll see if you know Checo is able to catch up through the second half of the season and, and see. But yeah, Max is on a on an entirely new level. You saw even though that both. Ferrari and Red Bull both started on the softs that uh, I think it was Carlos called out, you know, I think two or three laps sooner than Max that he was starting to feel that tire degradation and he was in clean air versus Max coming up through, through traffic. And so it did seem like um, that uh, higher downforce was, was an advantage to, to Red Bull. And then you saw uh, it was Williams that was the most trimmed out. They were, they were really going after that straight line speed. Albon which had helped it. them yeah. kind of stay at the front of those DSR trains, mm-hmm. um, but didn't really help them anywhere else in the lap. And Albon was, you know, struggling to kind of pull together a points finish, which is great for them. Yeah, yeah, he got it. I mean, if there's somebody who's going to do it, that's a guy I think a lot of teams look at and they go, "Okay, Williams has been struggling." Obviously, Latifi even made. I mean, it's just like Ferrari's going to be Ferrari right now, and Nicholas Latifi's going to be Nicholas Latifi. Like that first lap. Everybody's watching it, and I know like Martin Brundle and those guys on TV are, are you know, I, I switch between all of the different feeds just to kind of see oh, yeah. how people are feeling, you know, through uh, throughout the race. And, and you know, I think everybody looked at it. Martin Brundle is looking at it and he goes, oh, dear. Like, <laughs> it's just this guy is out of his racing depth, it feels like. And we talked about it before going into the weekend. Like, uh, I don't know if this guy has much uh, time on the F1 circuit. But that first lap, it wasn't just that. It was also – a scrap between uh, two Wiley veterans, uh, you know, nine world championships between them, and maybe there would have been more uh, for Alonso. Certainly, if uh, if if Lewis had had uh, a little bit more to do with it. But this is the radio call after that scrape between the two, which uh, it, uh, Lewis Hamilton afterwards said it was his fault. I think when you watch the video, everybody kind of looks at it and goes, "This is just a racing incident." No, it was a bit much. It was a bit more than that. Obviously, here's Fernando Alonso, who uh, on the team radio. Got uh, got pretty feisty about the seven-time world champ. Yeah, what an idiot! Closing the door from the outside. I mean, we had a mega start, but yeah, this guy only knows how to drive and start him first. Which of course he's done 103 times in his career. There he goes. So you got you got this. Uh... <laughs> He's the, the only best. one, Dan, that could get away with saying something like that, right? Everybody else, if they said it, they would just look like these. These petty, like, you know, because guys will try to say stuff about Lewis, you know. Maybe Max could say it, but now it's like he's become the guy, so, like, he wouldn't be caught saying that. Alonzo just said, what an idiot, about freaking Sir Lewis Hamilton, and he's 100% right. I mean, afterward, it was kind of shown, too, because Lewis walks down that service road, which became a meme in itself, right? Right, <laughs> He's yeah. just wandering down the service road, <laughs> and then... uh you know, it, they told, and he got a. I guess he was warned by the FIA because he didn't go to the, he didn't go to the medical tent like he was. Yeah, because yeah, it, the yeah. Car, triggered, uh, yeah triggered. Yeah. What happened his, with that? How did that work? Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously there's sensors in the car that will measure uh, the the g forces in a crash, and if it you know reach passes some threshold, then they say you got to go to the medical tent. And so with I, you know, the way that that hit happened and Lewis coming down really hard, that 
trip that sensor. And so by the rules, he's got to go to the tent, but you know, he, he didn't want to go. He felt fine. And so he got a slap on the hand or whatever, and you know, just don't do it again. I think but, it was, but yeah, he didn't that, address it. He didn't address it. And obviously, you know, he was like, well, I'm not going to talk about that radio call, but yeah, it was my fault. Sorry, fans. Sorry, team. Uh, moving on, on to the next yeah. race, I guess for him. Yeah. Yeah. And for new fans, you know, what was going on there as they, you know, Lewis had a great start and Alonzo did as well. So they're coming down the the Kemmel straight there. And uh, even though there's no DRS on that first lap, Lewis still gets a really big toe off of Alonzo. And he moves, uh, you know, there to the outside. And you're allowed to block once. You can't block twice. And so you kind of have to make your choice. If you're the guy in front who's getting caught, Mm -hmm. what side are you going to take? So Alonzo chooses the inside to make Hamilton go around the outside. But it was still Alonzo's corner. You know, Lewis was showing up at the last second onto that corner into his blind spot. And so per the regulations, you just got to give the guy a lane. You got to give him a car car's width. And when you go back and look at the replay, Lewis did not give him a car's width. Alonzo's right tires were up over the rumble strips. He was doing his best to keep, to keep off of Lewis, but there was honestly nothing he could have done. And, you know, Lewis got the, the bad end of it. And so after the, you know, stewards took a look at it, there wasn't anything more to do as, uh, you know, Alonzo wasn't at fault. Race, he kept yeah. going on, but. It was, uh, yeah, that was definitely a big mistake by, by what seems like a, a desperate Lewis. You know, they, there was reports that Lewis didn't leave the racetrack the I mean, night before the race. So I guess last night until 10 or 11 PM, because they were working on their race strategy, figure out how are we going to win this race? How are we going to gain points? And he just, he started like, you know, just going crazy, got through, uh, up to the, to the front, but, uh, drove it a little bit too hard. I mean, you can't blame the guy, right? He's doing the Ayrton Senna school of driving, you know, where it's like if there's not a gap there, you're not racing. Or if you don't go for yep. the gap, you're not racing. And, and, you know, those two guys had an amazing start. Checo had a slow start, got back into it again. Uh, but let's now kind of set some time aside for uh, for Ferrari. This is the well. This is what we really want to talk Dan, about. Dan, come on. This is like <laughs> uh, this is my favorite time of the night because or breaking this whole thing down because uh, I know that you've got thoughts on it. So it, I think in qualifying, we all started to see some of the same nightmares that they had gone through, right? Ferrari starts uh, making some calls that are super weird. And, I, you know, the tire regulations, too, going in and between qualifying to the race day, for me, it's still murky because I'm like, I don't know exactly what you can and can't use and how many sets of tires that you bring to the racetrack versus what you're allowed, what Pirelli and, you know, the F, uh, FIA allow you to use. And so... When they put him on a fresh set of tires and he's looking at these tires and he's driving around, he's like, what did you freaking give me? Right. And they're like, get this mistake, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so one, what was the problem? And, and where did they see all these issues? Obviously getting up to temperature is always a big problem. Uh, once you get yeah. out of the, out of those, uh, out of those pits and you go, okay, I gotta, I gotta get to the spot where we're, uh, you know, operating in the range where we want to be. Was it just a question of, Hey, these fresh tires needed a lot more time to be able to get to that track temp or, is it one of those where you just go, no, no, these one, we didn't want to use them Two, uh, it, it, it was all bad. I mean, it says they would, it was their mistake in qualifying and then it just got worse. The engine penalties uh, and the grid penalties, all that throw that aside. Ferrari already went into the weekend blowing it. It seemed like, because it's like they, they don't have one person thinking for everybody else around there. Yeah. You have to wonder where the, where are these calls coming from that cause these, these unforced errors on Ferrari's part. It seems like this is kind of basic, you know, weekend management 101. And so there's just a lot of confusion going on. But yeah, like you said, you know, you put on those fresh tires and 
you got to get those up to up to temperature and there's you know heat cycles that have to be taken into consideration and and you know um charles just caught it right off the bat and you know there's at that point there's not much you can do and then you know secondly when they tried to let um charles go out there and create the toe for carlos uh, on his last stint that just seemed really just not well executed uh and you know they didn't even get close to max's time so yeah, there's just it, there's just confusion everywhere. You just wonder who who's making the calls right now, and then you get into the race, and it sounds like they wanted to defer to Charles to make the calls. Everything was posed as a question, and you're just like, <laughs> as a driver, that is not confidence inspiring. Hey, hey, look, maybe he's your uh, best strategist, right? I mean, at that point, then you go, <laughs> it's his fault. He's the lead strategist, and he's the he's the race driver. If he, yeah. <laughs> we're paying him for both, we're paying him enough money for both. I don't. I, I maybe that was their thought, but at some point, there's no way that the chairman and the board at Ferrari could put up with this much longer. And maybe it's the type of company that waits till the end of the year. But look, why don't you do F1 is the most cutthroat sport at the top end of not just motorsport of anything. Business-wise, it's the most insane of anything. I mean, look just in the in the summer break, how some of this stuff goes down. These guys are absolutely brutal. They're guys diving out of their contracts and pretending like they've never even heard of the company that they had a contract with. Uh, you know, yeah. and I I felt bad for uh, for Otmar Snaffauer this weekend when they were doing that interview with them. And I know they're still reviewing this whole thing with Oscar Piastri because they're like, dude, he yeah. signed a contract, man, and then he suddenly mm-hmm. just said, I'm not doing it. Because they felt like idiots, but at the same time, this thing is brutal. So why on earth would Ferrari, the most important team in this entire sport, and it's in this entire sport's history, would allow this to keep going on and pretend like nothing happened? Yeah, that's that's the question. And it's just so interesting to see the cultural differences between all of these teams and where they're based and kind of the makeup of the teams. And you just wonder, like, what uh, what is it about that Ferrari culture where they you know, Binotto can sit up there with a with straight face and say everything is fine and the sky is blue and everyone around him just knows that this is not going well. And there have been team principles that have been canned for much less. And so, yeah, we'll, it'll be interesting to see where that plays out. And uh, but with each each new race, there's just another data point to point at that says there there is uh, some changes that are needed at the top with Ferrari inside the actual race today. Uh, there was even at the end when you started to see, okay, we're going to go for this, uh, for this, for, for the fastest lap, get that extra point. And when they were coming out of the pits, everyone was like, oh boy, this is going to be close. And the last person you want to see on your tail is Alonzo coming down a straight where that Alpine's been really quick. And on top of it, he's just licking his chops because this is like, at least I get to race for the last couple, couple laps here. They don't get the fastest lap, they get a five second penalty because he's speeding in the pit. So all of it turns out to be a sixth place finish for him at the end of everything anyway. I just don't I I listen. I know there's a lot of red fever out there. A lot of people there are going to be people who are always going to be dedicated to this Ferrari team, but I just don't I mean there is no other chance after this year. Everybody's going to catch up. You think Mercedes is going to allow this to happen for another year? Like they're going to figure some things out. I mean they've already probably figured it out. They're already dialing up a 2023-2024 car. So I don't <laughs> I, I don't know what I don't know what the future is going to look like here. So I, I mean I'm not trying to dog no. your guys, but everybody else is. So I feel like that's what I'm supposed to be doing too. So <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Top, but then you have Merce- no, it, you have Mercedes too. The same thing. Both of those teams have got to figure a lot of stuff out here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, when when they made that call, or when you see uh, Charles peel off onto the pit road, and I look 
up at the timer and he's 19 seconds ahead of Alonzo. I'm doing the math in my head and I'm like, that's, this is not going to work out. Alonzo's going to be right on his tail. And sure enough, and so maybe they had planned for that. Be like, okay, we'll just DRS swap for that last lap. But uh, yeah, like you said, of all the people that you want to be fighting there on the last lap, it's not Fernando. And uh, and it sounds like uh, there are reports that uh, we didn't hear it on the broadcast, but uh, when they called Charles into the box to to come get a fresh set of tires, he asked, like, are you sure? I don't think this is a good idea, guys. And, uh, you know, he came in anyways per the team orders. And then, yeah, uh, insult to injury. Uh, it sounds like that the uh, tear off that got stuck in his right front brake duct that he had to pit for there at the beginning, right? Also, also burned out a sense sensor that you know helps control his pit road speed. And so, with that out, he uh, he sped on pit road, and yeah, sixth place fit, sixth place finish. And uh, yeah, it's just a just a it's a tragic comedy. Uh, so now we look at this thing from today overall view. Boy, there's, you know, Alpine, we talked about it before the race. That's a team, I mean, having the finish that they did, uh, what, sixth and seventh? Not just double points, but really, really solid points finish for those guys. Uh, impressive races, I think, still. Uh, George Russell, like, is totally forgotten, but, like, the guy is still just, like, Mr. Reliable, Mr. Dependable yeah. in a car that, when you see him on those straights, they had nowhere near the speed of basically anybody else around him. Uh, Checo finishes second. You get a one-two for Red Bull. That's where they are in the in the championship fight now, and they're way far ahead in the constructors. If I'm looking at this uh, correctly here, let me see what the actual number is. Yeah, they're up by over 118 points. I guess it is now 118 points in the constructors, well away from uh, from any sort of fight from Ferrari right now. And I I mean, they're just going to the next race knowing that they have the the fastest car right now and the best driver in the world. And really the second best driver in the world, too, because Checo, to his credit, is able to put together like, hey, we have this car, so you better finish second. And he's been doing it. I mean, the guy has uh, has had the best year of his career. And, uh, you know, he's not going to get all the race wins. He's got one, but Max has nine on the season uh, so far. And so just impressive, obviously, after 14 races for him, him to have nine of those wins. So I don't know where it's going. I don't know. I, we might have an early finish to the year, Dan. We won't have to do this podcast very often after that because the the world championship will be will be wrapped up before the end of the season. Yeah, I certainly hope not. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it does seem like you know Max is running away with it. But there will be, I think, interesting fights in the midfield. Um, I think if you're Ferrari and you asked him, you know, would you be happy with a you know at least a second uh, you know place finish in the constructors championship this year? I think they probably would have been pretty happy with that, given how previous seasons have gone. Mm-hmm. And so continue to watch that constructor championship fight between Mercedes and Ferrari, I think will be interesting. And like you said, like, you know, is, is Alpine uh, peaking right now is Esteban, Esteban Ocon on, you know, an interesting path towards, towards uh, another win. And uh, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I, you know, I was very impressed with Esteban's drive today. He had some really, you know, beautiful passes, double passes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he had two, a, a pair of, of uh, double overtakes, which were just, you know, really cool to see that uh, just some good racing. And yeah, so I think there will be a lot of attention on the midfield for the last half of the season and see if anybody can squeak through some wins. I think George Russell is probably just knocking on the door of, uh, of his first win. Right. Uh, we'll see, you know, if Red Bull runs into any, you know, reliability issues in, in a particular race, it might be, chance for george to to get that first win uh looking forward 
we got this next week coming up here. we got uh, the next couple of weekends. It's nice to have this triple header because after the uh, month of taking off, you just go, please, just give us more races, which we're going to get. Uh, yep. Going up to uh, Max's uh, home, the Dutch Grand Prix, and then uh, off to Monza after that with uh, with Italy. You said these racetracks are set up very differently. Uh, what, what should we expect then? Is there a chance next week that some of these teams can show up and say, hey, the setup we have here and the way the racetrack is set up here, this might work to our favor? Yeah, I think, and in, in you heard some of the drivers in their post-race interview talking about that going forward, that like, hey, this you know spa just wasn't our weekend. It was all about Red Bull, but we have, uh, we think that these you know next two races play more into our advantage. I think particularly Ferrari and Mercedes are hoping for a more level playing field uh, at the Netherlands and, and uh, especially at, at Monza, where you don't have that elevation change like you do in Spa. It's a very flat course, and uh, you know, it, obviously, it's the hometown race there for Ferrari and you know they're going to want to show up for that too so I think it's going to be a a more competitive next couple of weeks and I'm excited about it Dan that's where we end it then we're going to leave people here and then we're going to be back again for another preview of the Dutch Grand Prix coming up this week the Mode Push podcast is going to be posted every week you're going to have the preview and then the race review as well those will drop on Monday mornings uh, in time for you to be able to go to work the, the race review will those race previews, we're going to try to get them to you uh, on those Thursday mornings so you can uh, get walking into the weekend in your FP1s and your FP2s and, uh, and beyond to be able to have uh, all the information you can. Dan Jimenez, I'm Alex Curie. Uh, Dan, thanks for uh, hanging out another another uh, show here. We're going to keep this thing going. Of course. I'm loving it, man. This is this is a ton of fun. So let's uh, let's keep this thing going. For Dan, I'm Alex. We'll catch you next week on the Mode Push Podcast.